Welcome to another episode of Three Men in a War Game. I am your new first talking host, Kevin, uh, and I have my two co-hosts with me, and they will introduce themselves now. I'm Paul. Wow, that was abrupt. Uh, I'm Chris. <laughs> that was what I was expecting more. <laughs> no, we're gonna we gotta can't gotta keep our audience on the toes. We can't keep the same. That's right. Gotta keep jo- me on my toes, nonsense. apparently. Yeah, I can't keep that same jokey nonsense if we're going to change the first person who talks. So, uh, fellas, it's been a couple of minutes since we recorded Hobby Progress. Paul, why don't you go first? Uh, Tearing through some Conquest stuff, that's for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I am, let's see, I just finished up my last four models for my Slingers unit, which is exciting. So you have a a full Um, 12 Slingers? Yeah, all painted up, ready to go. Um, and I also started, um, well, let me, let me talk about the slingers first. I, I, you know, the mass battle games after not painting mass battle games for a while, uh, it's a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the slap chopping has been fantastic and super helpful. Uh, the other thing I learned is that I need to, uh, just for my own sanity, I have started doing, um, like, um, you know, since they're, since they're repeated sprues, they have, you know, four bodies of each thing. So I've been doing the same body at the same time. And what uh-huh. I discovered that does for me is that actually allows me to say, oh, okay, I need to hit this spot. I missed this spot. It's in a weird, you know, like angle. I didn't notice it on the other guys. And then I can go back so I can touch them all up at the same time. And knowing the bits that are in the, in the spots that might be tougher to get. Um, instead of from jumping from one pose to another. And that's been yeah, that's super actually, helpful. That's exactly how I did my Boltons, actually. Mm-hmm. It was always like sculpts with like sculpts for that same yep. reason. Yep. Just it's, inter- it's interesting really that we made came it to easier. That. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and on um, the Conquest subject, how's the playing of Conquest going? Oh, it's going fantastic. Um, been playing with Potter, also played with uh, uh, another local guy, Jonathan, who's playing City States. That was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> Maybe Potter, Potter and I have realized that we probably jumped up to the larger table size at too low of a points value, uh, but we were Whoops. just excited. Um, yeah, it's okay. Um, we'll get that right next time. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm really liking it. It scratches all of the itches that I had hoped it would scratch. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, has that fantasy feel to it, has that fantasy world to it, but is its own thing. Um, but yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of gameplay to it. It's definitely easy to learn. Um, definitely difficult to master. And there's so many moving parts in a good way. Uh, so yeah, so early early experience playing the game, it has been uh, very good. Um, and what else did I do? Oh, the other thing that I did outside of Conquest, I uh, finished a entry grade Gundam. So that was exciting. Sweet, Yay. sweet. Ah, uh, Potter. I have not gotten to do a lot of painting because I've been doing a ton of building. Um, yeah. So I I built my Anathana toy, Athana toy, 
however you pronounce them, uh, one of the new <laughs> sure. units for Old Dominion. All these, you know, Byzantine mm-hmm. Roman names, you know, I, I have no idea how the hell to pronounce them. Um, I built uh, half of Paul's uh, Nord starter box. Um, so that way we could try and nice. make it to a demo day that we did, uh, you know, at the, at one of our friends, Bob's barn day. Um, we were tr- supposed to have a little bit more, but unfortunately it's with due to some sicknesses. A lot of people weren't able to make it. Um, and then I built some of the dwarves again for said, uh, for said barn day. So I've been doing a ton of building. I've, I've taken a break cause it was a lot at one time. Uh, then also, as you mentioned earlier, I've unfortunately had some uh, unforeseen um, issues I had to deal with. Uh, somebody decided they wanted the front, the back end of my uh, rental car. So I had yeah, to deal with that. Whoopsie. <laughs> yeah, right? So I had to buy a new car. I had to do all the uh, all that stuff. So taking a little bit of break, uh, playing a lot of Jedi Survivor, which is kind of itching my uh, need to play some Legion and build some clone troopers. So that I might see some of that in my future as well, too. Nice. All right. Uh, for me, whew, uh, not a ton, you guys. It's been a not uh, super busy on the hobby desk time for me. What's <laughs> um, fine. I actually uh, have gotten more through my cleaning process that I went, you know, I, I detailed out like a six or seven weeks ago on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and so the, the the desk is actually mostly clean now, and there's only four models on it. Um, so that's actually nice. So that that focus level can be there. Um, it's just been weird. I've done been doing more stuff with the kids. Um, one of those actually is a really cool thing. One of our local shops started a Magic the Gathering Commander Precon League. Whew, that's a mouthful. But um, <laughs> so how that works is like <laughs> everyone in the league bought a Commander deck, and for the first two weeks. All we could play with is the commander deck right out of the box to get used to the the deck. And then Mm -hmm. after that, in two week cycles, we'll each get to uh, we basically have to register our guest, our our deck list with the the guy who's running the league. And then every two weeks we can add twenty dollars worth of singles. So we take the TCG player low price, and we can add twenty dollars worth of singles to upgrade our commander decks. And we're going to do that through the entire summer. So that's fun. Um, so we'll start with like base power, like plain vanilla commander decks, and then sort of tune them to our liking over the summer. And mm-hmm. Ezzy is also joining me, my um, my older daughter. So she picked a red and black vampire deck, and I have a green, black, and white poison deck. So good times. I like her style. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, she went. She loves the vampire aesthetic. And when I showed her the this like Rakdos black red vampire deck, she was like, "Yep, that's what I want." <laughs> um, and it was funny. Her first game, she didn't say anything. We, we, you know, we were like, "I just want some friendly folks." It's her first time playing Commander. She's played a lot of Magic, but she's never played Commander before. And so we sit down and. Uh, like a third of the way into the game, she just like ruthlessly turns and starts bashing me and killing me. And she does actually take me out of the game. At the end of the game, she's like, I did the only thing I wanted to do. And that was kill my dad. <laughs> you know, you know, your kid, your kid sounds as much of a sadist as mine. So I took mine this weekend to go paintballing and mm-hmm. we're on the same team and he's sitting there talking to me and I'm like, Hey, I'm out of ammo. Give me some ammo. And he pops me some ammo, then turns around, shoots me in the stomach, and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> the thanks perfect. we get. 
Yeah. I just, um, I just so I wish you, I, I kind of wish he had just shot you and been like, here's your ammo and then taken off. That yeah. Was yeah. Know, right. <laughs> just, uh, oh, you need some ammo? Here you go. Pop, pop, pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I expect um, that of him. <laughs> but yeah, so I also, I, I do have some MCP models on the desk and also I'm getting ready for the topic we're going to go to. So let's uh, transition into talking about Star Wars Shatterpoint. Let's do it. Yeah. Star Wars is life and all that stuff. So we're actually recording two days before Star Wars Day. So we we missed it. We could have actually recorded. Or no, it's tomorrow. Excuse me, one day. Uh, We're slight hours away. Hours away. So we are basically recording on May the 4th. Feels appropriate knowing that it is actually that much closer. Mm Mm-hmm. For some reason, I thought it was the second. And then as soon as I looked at my calendar, I went, nope. Nope. Yes. So, um, appropriate topic for the day when we're talking about Star Wars Shatterpoint. And the reason I brought the date up is so that I can make a disclaimer about this. Uh, so, the disclaimer is being that I have perused the rules once and read them once to make notes. Um, and so, this is coming off no gameplay experience and purely just reading the rules to make sure that I understand the flow of the game and then basically working to sell the game to Paul and Chris in our normal format. And so I just want to make sure that disclaimers out there that I'm not claiming to be an expert on this game by any means. Like there's a very good chance that I'm going to skip some stuff or get some stuff wrong. Um, but we're going to get the main, I think, feel of the game out and talk about the things that are exciting to us, or at least the things that were exciting to me when I made these notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and talk about why we think this is going to be such a cool game, which is again Star Wars Shatterpoint by Atomic Mass Games. And and so again, before we get Kevin, started, Kevin, in some yeah. full disclosure, there I have I did read what you what you wrote down uh, and Good. did look at it in the rulebook, and I have uh, perused it quickly previously as well. So no, that's good. That's good. I mean, that means that like you'll be able to catch me on a couple things if we need to. All right, so let's I'll do my best. Dive right in. So going over the main points of the game. So like our main bullet points that we like to go over for a game. So this is a skirmish style game. And as near as I can tell, it looks like it's going to be eight bases per side on the average. And I say eight bases because some bases have two or three models on them. So it's really hard to give a models per side average, but in terms of activations, it looks like it's going to be eight activations per side at game start on the average because you have a primary unit, a secondary unit, and then a support unit. And it looks like generally it's a, the main unit is a person, the secondary is a person and the support unit is two, two bases. Um, but obviously they can mix that up, right? It's not hard and fast. So what I actually wrote in the the notes is it's probably going to end up being six to 10 bases per side. That's going to be like the range probably as they get more releases out there. No, I mean, that makes sense, right? Even even with what we've seen so far. Yeah. And I kind of like the idea that it might actually just be eight bases per side. Like they may be always going for primary and secondary being single models and then support units being like two or three bases. So it's Mm -hmm. like either eight or nine activations because of the way that the game works. And we'll get into that. I think that's actually pretty good, a pretty good way for them to sort of like activation lock, at least the start of the game to like a specific number of activations per side before a reset. Right. 
Um, so this is a game that's played on a three by three. So I think this is at this point, you know, if you think about skirmish games, this is kind of like the de facto, right? The three by three is the de facto skirmish size. Four by four is large skirmish or infinity size. And then two by two would be micro skirmish like Eden or Bushido. So three by three, pretty even with MCP, Malifaux, most of the games that we're familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and also for people who have their mats by Mars and neoprene cut mats, that's the size most of us have anyway. So three by threes, good with me. Um, yeah, <laughs> three so is good with me. Mm-hmm. So the activation style. <laughs> I mean, three by three is good with me though. Uh, all right, so it is alternating activation, but fascinatingly, I don't. And, and you guys can stop me, and listeners also sound off in the comments or on the Discord here. I don't know of many other roundless games. Like this is a alternating activation game, but there are no rounds. After the first turn of the game, it's just alternating turns until somebody wins. There are no round resets. Period. So yeah, I like, I kind of like that. Me too. I'll be honest. Yeah, I with think you. I really like it actually. <clears throat> Yeah, I think I think for me it takes kind of it it takes a little bit of that you know we have a limited amount of time to do this and changes it to a far more Star Warsian uh we're going to get the job done. Yeah, but it also does another thing, right? And the other thing that I think that fascinatingly does is it completely negates uh activation uh control. So there is no out activating your opponent mm-hmm. because it's That's always true. your turn, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. But yeah. the addi- there's an additional wrinkle when you get further in because when units are destroyed, their cards are just pulled out and you flip their card up. And it's if they're dead, it's not like you lose the activation. You just flip the next card. And so what happens is as an opponent, you have to be really selective about You have to be thinking about which models you take out, because if you take out someone's scrubs, for example, like let's say you're playing against like Anakin's forces, right? And you take out his clone troopers. That just means Anakin activates more often. Mm-hmm. So it creates this like really interesting uh, mechanic uh, in its roundlessness in that A, there is no activation advantage and B, the models that survive are having to work harder and activate more, which is really neat because you're actually putting yourself at risk more often too that way. So it, it comes off very well and I think it makes for smooth and fair play. Um, and it's going to make for some cinematic moments, which is important for, I think, a game that's with this rule set. I think those like cinematic moments are very important to it. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I mean, I think that's important to the, the, the game in general based on what it is. I mean, these are cinematic strategic points in the Star Wars, Star Wars lore, the universe. And that's what a shatter point is. Like, it, I like the fact that they've designed the gameplay to make these things so cinematic. Yeah, definitely. All right, so the last thing we always like to, to talk about before we dive in deeper is how much terrain is required and what kind of terrain. And so this, I think, is the my favorite. My favorite words in all of Wargaming is that it requires a large amount of dense, multi-level terrain. <laughs> uh, I love that, right? Because Not because I have a large supply of sci-fi terrain, but because large amounts of dense multi-level terrain make for interesting gameplay scenarios. Right. 
Uh, and, and also pretty tables, right? Like one of the reasons we play this game, these games are, is to be immersed in the pretty plastic and cardboard that we've put together, right? Uh, and so having these big cinematic looking and, and in Star Wars too, like if you think about the Clone Wars and you think about the battles that happen specifically in like Filoni shows, they are multi level, Mm -hmm. very fast paced, lots of jumping around, lots of Mm -hmm. hiding behind corners. And so you want to be able to bring that to the tabletop and having one or two, like, because most war games, right? Think about Malifaux or even MCP. For the most part, it's really just two levels of terrain, right? Right. And here we're, I mean, we're looking at three minimum and even four and five levels. And that's not to say sizes of terrain, right? But like, really, you're either on top of terrain or you're not in in um most games and and most of the time when you have terrain especially terrain that's that's climbable people just don't even climb it right mm-hmm. they usually uh, ignore like it if you're yeah. playing ignore it you just go around it if you're playing a game like Malifaux, right so it's really cool that the the terrain is meant to be played on and it, even so far and we'll get into it with the game setup it i mean it, it's very much meant to be doing it let's get that's a segue right into game setup so the way this game works uh the it's got a really um very procedural games. And that's how, I mean, Crisis Protocol is like this too, right? One of the nice things about Atomic Mass in general is that they write very direct rules to their games and it, it's very, it's very easy to follow them. I like this a lot, but mm-hmm. the way that it starts is that you build your strike team and your strike team is basically two squads and a mission. And so a mission is a mission card and then three decks underneath it. And so basically what that boils down to is your mission card, which tells you effectively what the mission is and how you place the objective markers. And then there are three decks of struggle cards that are labeled one, two, or three. And so once the first player is, is figured out, that's the person who chooses the mission. They choose their mission. And then once the mission is chosen, that's the three cards. So it's not like a complicated process. So you're not like an MCP as an example, you're not like, bringing two different decks of three cards, flipping them up, choosing one, choosing the other. Once a mission is selected, that's it from there. And and even going to like um, Legion, where you have to do this like sort of mini game before you start about how the game is set up, about how the objectives are set up, about how the weather and all that shit is set up. It's none of that. The mission gets selected and then the struggles are based specifically on the mission. And so you have the three decks, you shuffle each of the decks and then you pull one card from each deck without without revealing them and stack them in sequential order so that once the game actually is started and you're going to be setting up the active objectives, you flip the first struggle over and that shows you which objectives are active for that struggle. Um, and so that's the first part. So you, again, your missions and your squads and, or your, your squad and your squads are basically, you have two squads. Each squad is a primary unit, a secondary unit and a support unit. And on the, the, this is cool. This is actually a lot like the other side. Each of yours, each of your squads has a primary person and that primary person has a squad allowance or an amount of points that they bring in, right? That they actually generate and the other ones have a point cost. So when you select like General Anakin Skywalker, as an example, he has seven squad points and those 
that means he can spend seven squad points on his squaddies. So he gets to pick up secondary and his support who have costs like three or four or two and five or whatever to equal seven. So when right. you're doing your list building, that's where your flexibility is. You choose basically the squad leader and then you use that squad leader's point allowance to choose the secondary and support units that they can bring. And you get one of each. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I mean, it's super easy too, right? Like the, the thing I like about this, and I know we talk a lot about the importance of off the table play, but I think that a lot of the off the table play in this game is going to be how I could have played better. Not mm-hmm. necessarily did I lose because I didn't list build correctly, right? I, I think this game is actually going to bypass that whole problem because of the, the ease of squad building. And you're yeah, going to be I, able to make some pretty cool and thematic squads. Well, and I was going to say, I feel like the, uh, like right out of the box, it's kind of encouraging you to play certain people together. Sure, um, yeah. Which I think kind of helps for that, and I and I really hope that's kind of the spirit of the game in the wider community. I hope so uh, too, because that's not actually in the rules. The rule is that they have to be from the same era, because right. it's a Shatterpoint thing, right? So they have to be from the same time, but not necessarily from the same side. So you could, for example, bring some traditionally bad guys with good guys, as long as they're from the same era. Oh, I did right. not realize that. I thought they had to be the yep. same, yeah. same faction. They do nope. not. They do not. It's 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 like Crisis Protocol in that way. Gotcha. Uh, in that they just want you to be able to play your models together. Yeah, so they just have to be from the same era. Now, you know, that doesn't mean they won't ever change that, but that is the way that it's set for now. Um, and I, I think for me, like, I'm, uh, I am going to just, like, turn my nose up at tryhard games of this game. <laughs> like, it's just, like, I have a competitive game. You know what I mean? I'm not going to mention it because <laughs> it's a meme <laughs> at this point. But I have I have my competitive game, and I don't need to play this competitively. So tryhards be damned. If somebody is coming at me and I look at their, fa- their, their shit and it looks like just like a, a genital stomping bad time, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm just going to, like, you know, say good day, sir. Play someone else. Yep. Um, and I'm going to play my fluffy lists and have a good time, like, recreating my Star Wars bliss, right? That's what I want. Yep. Um, I agree. But back to the <laughs> – back to the game setup procedure. The next part of it is a roll-off. And I know, Paul, one of your pet peeves of the war game is it's, like, <laughs> randomly determined the first player. <laughs> <laughs> tell us how to do – just tell us how. <laughs> Flip a coin, throw a beanbag uh, to whoever's older. I mean, just I don't care. Just tell us what you want us to do. Yeah. And so it's actually very it's a it's a very procedural here. You roll a set of dice, defense dice specifically. And then the person with the most crits wins. If they're tied for crits, it's the most successes. If there's no successes, it's the most the next thing. Like it's just like bam, bam, bam down the line. Like there's a very strict procedure for the roll off. There you go, yeah. Paul. Which is good. And I, it seems like I like that. I think they tried to do it so that like 88% of the time it's just handled in a single roll. Do you know what I mean? Like or right. may, maybe even a higher percentage than that. You roll the dice and you know who's going first. Well, and that's how, I mean, that's how, uh, that's how MCP works. MCP too. is. Yeah. I mean, it makes it so easy. Essentially the same. Yep. So easy. Our Paul can do it. That's right. <laughs> 
That yeah. is a correct <laughs> statement, sir. And it might it might be the D8s you roll too. I honestly I wrote the D6s and it might be the D8s. Either way, you roll the dice and then you go by the success levels of what they are, right? Oh, it is the it is the D8s. And then it's so it's crits and then successes and then the um the mastery dice or whatever, the mastery whatever that symbol is, the third symbol that I'll get to eventually and then know the actual name of. <laughs> um the expertise there it is so that's how you and, and it's basically you're just looking at who has the most and that breaking ties so right uh from there this is what i think is cool and the reason i wanted to go through the, pr- the procedure is because like those parts that we just said like se- like building the strike teams rolling off setting the mission and placing the objectives like all that's normal but here's right. where it gets spicy because you put you select the mission and then the mission shows you how to measure and place your objectives which to people who have played mcp again this is going to be very familiar mm-hmm. um you place your objectives but again there's not two overlapping sets now it's just the one set of objective tokens that you're placing so there's one card you just place them according to the card the card has the map for how to use the measuring tools to put them out and all that yada 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 so here's where it gets really cool is because after that is when the players collaboratively set the terrain on the board. And the reason that this is so cool is that when a piece of terrain overlaps an objective, you take the objective and you set it to the highest point above where that thing is sitting. So like if you maneuver the terrain so that the objective would have to go three levels up. That objective is going whoop, right to the top of that three level thing. Meaning that if you want to control the objective, you've got to go up to the top and fight for it. Right. Which again, the cinematic moments, this is how you fl- make them flow, right? You put the objectives in the spaces where it's not just on a flat ground and you can't just like make a big gang up circle on it. It's got to be at a place that's harder to get to. Yeah, Which, no, I, I agree. That's, I think that's so cool. Uh, and then after that, you generate the will of the force. And so how this works is each unit in your strike team uh, has a potential of bringing force points. They don't all, right? They don't all bring them, uh, but a lot of them do. A lot of them will bring force points and you get tokens that you can spend. And so these are like, it's just like, it's a, it's a coin basically, right? Where used or unused and each cycle of your activation deck, you get that much force. And we'll go over what the force is used for. But so if you, if your whole squad generates 10 force, you get 10 of these things that you can spend to activate abilities right up until you have to recycle your activation cards when they all flip back up to active again. Now are these, and, are these uh, like, do they regenerate? Do they so like once I, you yeah, lose? So, so, well, so it's use or lose, but they do regenerate. So we'll get into it here, actually. Why don't we just get into it right now? Okay. So we're at the Will of the Forest and how this works. We'll go over all the stats for a unit and how, kind of how they work. But the abilities in this game, you know how when you're playing MCP, you're, you're using, um, points to activate your superpowers. You're using your power to activate mm-hmm. your stuff. This game, um, all of the reactive and all of the active powers require some level of force expenditure even if it's zero and that's actually important for a reason we'll get into in a little bit but generally like so like force jump on anakin skywalker for example requires an expenditure of one force point and so you get 
you get one activation of each unit per cycle through your deck. So the way that your deck works is every one of those units. So those six units we talked about, right? Because you have the two primaries, two secondaries, two supportings. Each of those have a card. And then there's also a shadow shatter point card. So your initial activation deck is seven cards deep. And when you flip a card up, you activate that unit. Once that whole deck is gone, you recycle that deck. So you are basically removing all the units that are dead. Uh, and then you re you reshuffle and redraw on your next turn. And that reshuffle and redraw comes with a flipping up of your force point. So any ones that you haven't spent at that point, you kind of lose them, right? Because everything else refreshes. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, makes sense. So let me let me ask you this, and maybe this is getting further ahead than than mm-hmm. you were intending to at this point um do you always start with the same number of force points or do certain characters generate more or how does that work that is it's certain characters generate more or less so like anakin skywalker as an example generates four um which is a high number right not everybody is going to bring that same four points of force that's going to be a higher number because it's anakin i mean he's the chosen Um, one so yeah, and like if you bring with him some clone troopers as an example, they're probably not going to br- they br- they do. They bring 0. The 501st clone troopers bring 0. Ventress right. brings 3. Yeah, I guess uh, I I guess the main reason why I was asking that was cuz I was curious if um as units died, if that fuel like if so if you got that 10 points, would that increase, you know, like, could you then expend a crap ton of them on uh, Anakin? But if I think, if- yes, the answer is yes. I don't I don't. And I could be wrong, but I don't remember reading anything that says when a character dies, check for their force and remove their will of the force. Like you still get those force for the rest of the game. Right. Oh, okay. yeah. See, that, that's what I was curious about. But yeah, I guess that's something we'll have to like confirm. Yeah. But yeah, that seems. Yeah, because in my mind, I mean, like if Anakin dies, like that force that he generates dies with him. Like that's the way, yeah, that's I the did. way I would have thought it would have worked. And again, yeah, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Right, because maybe I don't when you when you're seeing that, yeah, when you when you build the. Maybe when you build your deck at the beginning of the turn, that's when you calculate your force points. That is when. That is when. No, that's what. That's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You once you 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 present your force and your 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 whole army basically, right? Your strike team, right? And the total number of force that your strike team generates is your will and the will of the force number. So that's how much force you're going to generate. Gotcha. Throughout throughout the game. Okay. Um, yeah, and I actually I'm looking right now at becoming defeated and it, it just says the order card is removed and removed from the game, but there's nothing about removing that character's force. Well, I guess as Anakin sitting there as a force ghost, he's still giving you his Yeah, his and support. the thing to remember too is that like units that don't generate force still require force to activate their abilities. So that would that could feel that if you think about it, that could lead to some really feel bad mechanics. If you lost your person that generated four force, and then that prevented you from doing the most basic abilities on your normal right. units, right? No, that makes sense. And you know, <clears throat> at, at, again, thematically, because that's how I think about these things. You know, it's it's you'd be looking at Anakin being pissed off that you know Rex died, and he's going to go harder, so he's going to burn more of that force sure. uh, skill. Yeah. Oh, and, and here's another one for you. So Padawan Ahsoka is a secondary unit, brings no force to the table. 
Hmm. Ahsoka Jedi No More is a leader, is a primary unit, and she generates three. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So that's just to give you some more examples of how building those strike teams works and how, like, then that's part of it. Like, picking your two primary units basically is going to have a lot of influence on how much force you're going to generate. Because those are going to be the units that generate the most force, probably. Right. I yeah. say that because I know, like, the Dathomirian witches are coming, and there's a pretty good chance all of those units generate force, right? Right. Um, but so also, it's, it's, it's also, like, those might be cheaper units, and their primary might have less point allowance because that's the way they balance them, right? They're like right. less powerful on the whole, but they bring more force to activate more abilities. See, so, I, I, I think that's one of my favorite things. Uh, and because other side did that really well and you can adjust, you know, the power of your, of your commander and not have to worry about massive amounts of balance because if they're really good, then they just don't get to bring as much stuff. Right. Exactly. And if you think about it, that's like, that is two levers they can pull on at squad building, right? Both how much force they generate and how many points they can expend for recruiting. Yep. No, I I like it. I think that is a, I think that is a great approach ever since I saw that in, in the other side. Yeah. It's very, very, very smart. Very, very cool. Um, so yeah, that's that. Right. But before we get back further into the units, I do actually want to back up a little bit and talk about the game itself, right? Because, yeah, it's cool to talk about the the units and all the Star Wars stuff, but, like, why are we here, right? That's kind of in, like, what are we doing? And we talked about how you set your objective. And so I'm gonna just going to use the example out of the rule book where, effectively, if you look at the three-by-three, three, the, the sort of v- vanilla mission that they show, there are nine objectives that are equally spaced. So you have basically like three rows of three, right? It's a perfect square. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are effect essentially evenly spaced across the board. Like if you were to divide the board, like if you were to take the board and divide the board into nine pieces, the objectives would be on each intersection of those lines. Do you know what I mean? So like yep. perfectly spaced. All right. And so when you flip the first struggle up, For an example, it might be the middle row is all on. So like the one closest to me, the middle one, and the one closest to my opponent, those are all on. And then, and and that's for both middle rows. So you have the cross that's turned on, right? Mm, right. And then the the second struggle. So someone wins that struggle. And we're going to go over right after this, how you win a struggle. You flip the next one over and the next one, very cool, has three lit up. And the three that are lit up are on one side of the board in the corners and on the other side of the board, there's only one, but it's the one in the middle. And Mm -hmm. so now all of a sudden you have to adapt your tactics and move to where the objective is. But as another wrinkle, the person who flipped the card is going to roll a dice and the symbol on the dice is going to determine which one of those is the primary objective for this part of the struggle. And then that primary objective is going to be worth additional momentum. So like hmm. when you flip the card up that you roll a defense dice in this example and defense dice only has three possibilities and there's three objectives. So one of those objectives is going to be the primary objective and the other two will be the tertiary objectives or right. secondary. 
And like, this is really cool, right? Because what that means is that the objectives don't stay static throughout the game. Like you're fighting over one spot, but like, and, and this is the thing is like, it's called steal the secret plans. And so basically what's happening is if you think about it thematically, that's that when it's in the cross section, everybody is looking for where those plans are or defending them. Right. Right. And then as soon as you flip the next part of the struggle, the next part is called, we're going to need a new exit. <laughs> and then that determines where the primary objective on that is. And then there'll be another part after that. Right. Right. So the game will like the game will ebb and flow as to where you're moving. And it's, and it's not necessarily determined by where you're, you're carrying the objectives. It's how the objective map is actually going to be set out. And you don't necessarily know because each one of these is from a deck, right? So there's going to be some number of struggle one, some number of struggle two, and some number of struggle three. And right. so all you'll know is that it's the possibility of this in the first stage, this in the second stage, this in the third stage. So it's kind of like, if you think about like a, a World of Warcraft boss, like a multi-stage boss, but each time you fight it, it's like one of seven different stage ones, one of seven stage twos, and one of seven stage threes. Like Nefarian. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that, I was like, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense the way you put that. <laughs> um, and so that's the way that's the way the objectives are going to go, and that, I think that's going to make the game very dynamic to play. All right, so how do you win these? <laughs> like, what, what are we, what are we doing here? And so the only thing we know so far is for controlling objectives. And so, uh, for controlling objectives, you are going to need to have a unit within two. This sounds familiar for MCP players. Mm -hmm. Um, being within two establishes control and also being not wounded. So you have to have a healthy unit within two on the same terrain level that's also important they have to oh, be on the same on the same terrain level within two so if there's one up on a scaffolding and you're on the ground you are not contesting you gotta Ooh. be you gotta be up on the scaffolding i do like that yep very cool and so here's another thing guys so there is a momentum ladder and oh this is the spiciest part of this game so it is i, th I think it's 17 spaces so there's eight spaces on either side in a middle space uh, and the middle space is where the struggle always starts. Okay. And when I say spaces, it's like places to put cubes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And I was right at 17. Okay. So there's one, there's one space in the middle and the struggle cube always starts in the middle. And then you always put one of your momentum cubes in the eighth space. So the space closest to you, you're going to set this thing on the table. So your side is closest to you. Your opponent's side is closest to them. And when the struggle resets, you put one momentum cube at the end. So basically at this point, it takes seven steps for that struggle token to get back to your momentum tokens. Making sense so far? Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm All right. Board. All right, cool. There are a couple different ways that those momentum things will move. Um, so the first thing is con for controlling objectives. At the end of every player turn, you guys, every single player turn after the first, the, the struggle token moves a number of spaces toward you equal to the number of objectives you control at the end of that turn. Gotcha. So every player turn, you're moving it. So like I, I'm going to activate Anakin, move Anakin. We count how many objectives I'm controlling. The thing moves toward me that many points. 
What I what I like about that is that then you can kind of plan on scoring an objective and not be dependent on what your opponent does. Yeah, there's some prediction. You can still gain your ground. Yeah, and you have to think about that push and pull on this ladder constantly, right? It's Mm -hmm. like a tug of war. This like this piece, this momentum piece is gonna go back and forth. And you might be thinking, like, God, if you're listening, let me like Kevin, how on earth am I going to hold something for long enough for it to come all the way back to that eighth spot? Well, 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 dear listener, though you can add momentum points to your your track. So again, there are 17 spaces on it. Whenever one of your opponent's units becomes wounded or gains a wounded token, you add a momentum to your side. So basically that means every time you wound somebody, it makes it easier for you to win this part of the struggle. Right. Because then it's adjusting you from seven or would you say six spots, seven spots to six and then possibly to five five, and then four and then three. Yep. Right. Now, if the player moves it now, if after the first turn, if the struggle token at the end of the turn is in the center space, both players add a momentum because there's like equal fighting going on, but time is running out. Right. Right. And so the, the aspect of time is that both players add. And so now it gets closer for both players. Uh, And then the catch up mechanic, and this is a little bit of a confusing one is after a player moves the struggle token at the end of their turn, if the struggle token remains on their opponent's half of the struggle tracker, the active player. So you add another momentum token. Right. So you're basically telling your opponent, you got to keep at it. You know what I mean? Because I'm like fighting against what you're doing. Yeah. And and, and I think what's interesting about that too, is that it just because you add a, a momentum to your tracker, that also doesn't mean that um, you're not necessarily any closer to winning. If that yeah, makes sense. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're I mean, I mean, somewhat closer. You're you're basically like speeding up which the how, how the the struggle will resolve, but you're not necessarily guaranteeing yourself the win on it, right? Like right, that ladder can pull back just as hard the other way, right? Right, and and even at that, if I if I put a momentum down and you don't have any, but you're on, uh, you know, your number five, I've still got to pull it back. Five spaces and way. then get onto my side, even if I have more. two momentum. Uh-huh. I mean, that's exactly. That's, yeah. You're looking at, you know, 11 spaces moved or 10 spaces moved, which is fairly significant. Yeah. And I think what will happen is unless there's a blowout, you're really going to be oscillating between three and zero on either side. Like that's, yeah. it's kind of, it's going to like push and pull and it's going to be about timing your pull, timing your pull right to when you have the amount of momentum that you can push it over the edge. Because as soon as that struggle tracker would need to occupy a space that is one of your momentum tokens is in, you win that part of the struggle. Just bam, you win. You got, it. you get it. Right. That, that goes to your side of the board. You reset and flip the next part of the struggle and activate those objectives, right? So you change the way the struggle is going to work. And the way the game works is the first person to win two struggles out of the three wins the game. So if you win the first two, it's over. Game over. Right. Yeah, so it's best out of three. Yep, best of three as the in one game, sort of, right? Best of three struggles in one game. Right. Because the mission is the three struggles. So what do you guys think of that? Like in, ter- in terms of like a game structure, 
Um, I really like it. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because when I saw a little bit of it being played out on some of the YouTube videos, when I saw that struggle tracker, the very first thing I thought was like, oh, it's like God tier. It -hmm. is like God tier. And and that was one of the most interesting mechanics to me from God tier. Like I I had zero interest in playing that. But then I saw the momentum tracker. I was like, oh, that's a really cool neat interesting idea to add into a miniatures game so i'm i'm glad i'll be able to experience it you know now playing shatterpoint so it, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to me I, i'm i'm intrigued i want to try it out yeah it's it's very much like that i think i i mean i would even go so far as to say they probably took a little bit of that from god tier oh, just I'm like sure. they took the forest building a little bit from the other side um, but that's fine, right? Like uh, the innovation is based on like, I mean, this yeah. is how this is, this is humanity, right? Like art is like taking something from before and refining yep. it. So yep. imitation is the best form of flattery. Yeah. And like, it's not exactly like God tier. Cause the way that, 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 that ladder works on, on God tier is similar, but also pretty Very different. different. Yeah. Agree. Yep. Agree. It's, the concept is the same. Yep. Exactly. Uh, it's that push and pull, mm-hmm. right? Push and pull of 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 how the mission is going. But what I like about this is it's it's a compromise between the kind of missions that you have in a game like Malifaux, where it's like very like specific, and then some hidden missions, and like very specific things you have to do, very specific missions. But also like changing them and and having so you have like these specific things you have to do, but also. There's like a fog of war sort of in it mm-hmm. and also a dynamism so that like just when you get comfortable in how the board state is set, it flips on you and changes you and forces you to adapt your strategy to the way that the next part of the struggle works. Yep. Well, the, the, the thing I do like about that, Kev, is that it doesn't allow one player to completely dominate, right? Because if if you have complete and total control over objectives and, you know, the the other player could spend the next two hours fighting for that and not accomplishing anything, the fact that the objectives change uh, prevents one person from just being able to be like, all right, I own these now. Good luck getting them th- from me. Yep. 100% because they change round on round. Yep. No yeah, that's, actually, that's actually something Conquest has done with some of their objectives. Where the objectives don't necessarily move, but which ones are worth more changes. Right. Which I think gets rid of one of your biggest complaints about MCP in the early days was a lot of just like camping on objectives. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, grabbing an objective and moving. Right. Yeah, like, right. There's none of that here. None of that's not going. That is literally not going to happen. Yeah. Right. Because right. like then you're just you've got models that you take you took and you're not playing with them because they're just sitting in the back, just sitting on an objective doing nothing the entire game, which is boring. It right. is boring. You're you're not wrong. It yeah. is boring. I mean, so ma- making dynamic objectives like this is 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 a hundred percent a win in my in my book. All right. So now that we know how we score and ha- what how we win the game, now I think it's appropriate to talk about the units that we're going to use to do that. <laughs> I mean, Anakin so, Skywalker. That's all you need. Okay, we're done. I mean, he is pretty good. Um, he has he has a, a reactive ability called "I'm going to end this." <laughs> <laughs> as, he, as he should uh yeah so um okay how this works is you, your model basically we have already talked about cost and how much force and that's one side of the card right one side of the card tells you how many models are in the unit 
how much force they bring, how much they cost, or how much allowance they give you. The other side of that card gives you a whole bunch of cool stats. Um, one, one, one of the stats specifically is the keys and tags. So, you know, if you think about MCP, like when you're like looking at things like an X-Force model or whatever, an X-Men model. So you've got like, as an example for Anakin's got Galactic Republic, Jedi, Force, you've 504s. 501st, and that's important, right? Because other models might say target another 501st model, right? And do X. Right. And so that's cool that you, that it has that level of granularity. Like I really like that because that allows them to write, but to Paul's point, they want to like sort of encourage you to take certain models with other models. They can do that with these abilities, right? And with these, these sort of like tags. So another thing you get is a list of abilities and you've got a couple different kinds of abilities here to talk about. Um, and those are going to be your, um, used ability. So active abilities, reactive abilities, innate abilities and signature abilities. And so, uh, an example of, uh, an active ability is force jump. You spend a force, you get to jump pretty cool. Um, and then a reactive ability might be deflect. So deflect reads after a ranged attack attack is targeting this character and is resolved. This unit may use this ability if the attack roll contained one or more failure results. Here, the attacking unit suffers two damage. So you get to choose to use the reactive ability after the ma- after the shots have been taken at you. And if they had any fails, you cause damage to them, which makes sense. As a lightsaber user, you're very used to seeing them deflect shots back and hit guys mm-hmm. with them, right? And right. so that is literally shown as an ability on Anakin's card. And then the signature abilities are like the big nasty stuff, right? They're like the ones that let you do like out of control things. And like, that's like where your hello there is going to probably be, uh, for Obi-Wan and stuff right. like that. So you've got your, your cool stuff like that. Um, now the other stats, and this is where we're going to talk about it. What, like right now, my favorite part about this game and a part that I, I want, I really want to get your guys' first impression on this because it really threw me for a loop. <clears throat> so yeah two health stats all right stamina and durability and how this works is your durability or your your stamina stat is your higher stat and so we're we're just going to keep using anakin as an example because i'm looking at his card his his stamina is 11 and what that means is he can take 11 damage before he takes a wounded token Mm mm-hmm All right. Durability is how many injured tokens he needs before he dies or is taken out of the fight. Okay. Okay? But here's how this works. So if during any activation, like if during your own, sorry, if during your own activation, you take enough damage such that you cross that stamina threshold, you take a wounded token and your activation just ends. Boom, your, your, your activation's done, right? But when you flip a card over and you go to start activating a model, the first thing you do is a wound check. And what that is, what that says is, do you have a wounded token? If you have a wounded token, flip it to an injured token, remove all your stamina and one other status effect that you have on you, and then stand back up and get back in the fight. 
But for the rest of the game, you have that injured token. And so now you're injured, right? Okay. So, the, so, the, you, so basically, so you said Anakin could take four injured tokens before he's just done. Three. three. The, the third injured token kills So him. basically, yeah. he's got 33 wounds. Yep. Basically. But the There's part a that but. I think. There's a but coming. The, the, but, the but you might be missing here, Potter, is the you don't check for injured tokens until the end of a model's activation. Right. And so here's why that's important. It's my opponent's turn. My opponent shoots my Anakin and does those last four wounds. So I've taken my 33 to- I've ta- I've taken my 11 stamina and he's given me my third wounded token. I start my activation, I flip it to injured, I still get to activate. Mm-hmm. Oh, because it's not until you, the end of your, end end of your yep. activation Got. that you check for the injured status. So you always get a last gasp activation with every one of your units. Oh. So I think that's super fun. I, I, I love it, Kevin, but I feel like there's another butt and it's the butt to the downside of being uh, injured. Well, go ahead. Go on. So for Let's, each of those, uh, what are they? Wounded tokens? For each are, injured token. Yeah. Yeah. Each each one of the injured tokens, you spend that much more force to do your abilities. Oh. Every ability. Every ability costs N more to activate, where N is equal to the number of tokens that you have right. on you. But that makes sense, right? Because the more damage you take, the harder it is to focus mm-hmm. on the things yeah, that you're good at. No, no. Yep. yep. That's thematic. I, I like Plus that. Plus you're tired, you're frustrated. It's yeah. No, I I do once when uh I looked at that initially, uh I thought that was a really good touch. Uh I think I think that actually works better than what they did with MCP just because I, I feel like... I think this is the evolution. I think they they are probably not happy with MCP currently. Like, not that they're not happy. I think they're very proud of that game, and that game works exceptionally well, but I think this is, like, they had this aha moment, and this is the next version of that same system. Right, and, that, and that's what I was going to say. I feel like maybe the MCP version doesn't deliver quite what they thought it would, Yes, um, but this and I think, will. I, I think I think initially the expectation was pretty high because we saw several people in the core box that came out with different abilities and different things happening on the wounded side of the mm-hmm. card. But there's not really a whole lot of that in the game, uh, which I always found uh, fairly disappointing, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. And especially in the hindsight of seeing this system, right? Right. It's like, it's basically like now now I can't unbreak the glass. Like now I'll always be like, oh, but the system in Shatterpoint is so cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So again, Um, Paul, when am I giving you my MCP models? (laughs) (laughs) Anytime you want. Anytime you want. I love MCP. I'm not going to stop playing MCP. I was actually planning on teaching it to Ezzy this week. Because I still haven't. Bad dad that I haven't taught her yet. But, you know, you only have so much time in the week. Yeah. No, tr- yeah. I'm not getting and your kids, MC, MCP. And your fold. kids are only so interested in your stuff. Um, but 
the yeah the the this is a very cool system like i i wrote and you know you guys can vouch for this i wrote probably my favorite thing in the game this like stamina durability yep, thing i think it's it's so right cool. here it's right there on the on the show notes <laughs> i'm right looking there, right there in black and white <laughs> yeah um i really really like this um it's just it's so thematic and it just works so well and it, i do like that like they give you that like being tired but also like you can't really get alpha struck off the board in this game or even like like beta or sigma struck right, right? like you, you like there's no delta strikes either like you literally have to take all of your damage and then you still get one activation yeah, it'll yep. be interesting. I, I do. I do like that. Yeah, it'll be interesting when it starts like introducing characters that potentially could like heal too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. 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 Like I see. I, I like. I, I see I Luminara think, coming in with an ability like that. What? I think r- removing injured and wounded tokens is probably out of the question. That's yeah, probably like, whoa, no, 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 real no, no, feel no, no, bad. But, yeah, no. But removing wounds, so- certainly. Yeah, like like you were saying, like, you know, it's your opponent's activation. Anakin's got three wounds left. If, if they miss and then you activate a model, your next model, which has the heal ability, you could take like two of those wounds off of Anakin kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like the like the heal in in MCP that they have, like the tag team heal and, thing. It, it doesn't fully there, heal them; it just gets rid of some. There are heals, and actually, what Anakin's signature move is based on if he if he wounds an opposing model, if he wounds like an opposing primary unit model. So, like if he's fighting Darth Maul and wounds Darth Maul. Every allied Galactic Republic unit that's like that can see him heals one. Oh, because <laughs> they're like, yeah, right. Like that's like that's actually an ability on the card. I like it. Um, Except for the fact so that I'm probably yeah. gonna play Maul most of the time, so I don't like it. I mean, dude, Maul seems real good, <laughs> and and he- Maul, Maul's got some heinous abilities. Um, so yeah, so that's the that's the the models, right? So that's how that works. So let's get into a little bit of the sort of like key stuff here, right? Oh, also, I didn't mention tactic abilities at all. Oh, my God. I feel like a bad host. Um, so uh, one of the things I said is that you you at the beginning of your activation, you flip your card up, you do your wounded check. One of the other things you do is check for tactic abilities. So tactic abilities are basically like. They're like innate abilities. They're things that you do, but if you have a tactic ability, you just resolve it at the start of your unit's activation. So if your unit has one of these tactic abilities, you just get to do it every time they activate at the start of their activation. So that's another style. So it's the active, reactive, innate, tactic, and identity or special abilities. Sounds Um, good. Yeah, super neat. Uh, All right. So how does a a turn work, right? So we, we talked about you flip, up and and now we'll talk a little bit about this so there's some randomness here right because you're going to have seven cards in your deck when you start a game you're going to shuffle them and reveal one what happens if you don't want to activate that model well you can spend one of your force points to put that card in reserve so you set that card to the top that card is in reserve now you flip the next card down and activate that card and then on subsequent turns, you flip a card and you can choose to activate either the one that's in reserve or the one that you flipped, right? Um, but you can only ever have one in reserve. So right. you have to activate that model that's reserved before you can reserve another one. Yeah, that I think is my favorite thing about the game. 
because it, uh, yeah. it, it, it stops you from getting feel bad moments. Um, yeah, I mean, it gives you a little more agency over yeah, the randomness, I, I, right? I, I re- that, when I saw that, I was like, this, this is my favorite thing. Um, that's uh, the one I It is the nice. Most. Yeah. But one thing that I didn't realize until I read the rule book, I don't know if they revealed it early and I missed it or whatever, is there's a set, there's an extra card that goes in, always goes into your deck that's the Shatterpoint card, and that's a wild card activation. So when you flip up the Shatterpoint, you just get to activate whatever unit you want. Wow, so that's, that's pretty cool. cool. That's strong. So you, so you get your activations plus your Shatterpoint activation, which is pretty cool, I think. Mm-hmm. And thematic to what the Shatterpoint's about, right? It's exactly the it's exactly the person doing exactly what they need to be doing. So um, that's cool. I like that a lot. So you flip it up, you do that, then you activate any of their tactics things. You check if they're injured, yada yada yada. So then you get to do your. It's just like MCP. You get to do your two things, but. But, but, but what are the things that you can do, right? And because we, what, what kind of, uh, minis game would this be without a whole litany of actions that you can take? Um, now, Paul, did you get to look over these at all or no? Did anything surprise, before I reveal them all, did anything here surprise you? Uh, no, not really. Unless I missed something. Not, yeah, I I mean, I don't, I don't think so either. So here's what they are it's move obvious right but now we get to talk about movement uh a lot like mcp except instead of two or instead of three ranges of movement there are just two uh advance and dash so so hold on one thing one thing i was just noticing um there's also jumping too there so Uh, jumping is only in an only we'll get there but jumping only happens as a uh Either a um, force ability, like it's a, it's a special ability to jump, yeah. or it's a, as a consequence of expertise. Right. Uh, it's not one of the standard actions. Jumping is actually not one of the standard things you can do. Okay. So it is, all, right, it so is always I, I, an ability. I, I guess I got a little head on the sheet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ju- jumping is certainly a kind of movement. Um, but it's not one of the stand when you, when we talk about the two actions that you can take during um, a, a unit's activation, mm-hmm. uh, it's not one of those things. Okay. Cool. So those things are move, and so move can be either advance, dash, or climb. And we'll get into climb when we get into the different kinds of movement. <clears throat> um, so dashing is the the shorter movement. And it looks like the short movement from MCP and advanced looks like medium movement. So those are from MCP. So those are your two movement styles. And then you can climb. And so climbing has to be a dash movement. Uh, and you have to be in range such that you can fully overlap the area that you climb. And then you can just climb up any vertical distance that you have of the type of terrain that can be climbed. Right. So that's that's basically how climbing works. They tried to keep it simple. I like that. This works well enough. It's basically the same as MCP too, right? Um, instead of in, instead of it being like range two and climb, it's just a, you use the small movement tool. If you can climb, you can climb. Right. Um, also, you can't climb if you're engaged. We'll talk about that in a second too. Engagement is another thing that's in this game that's not in MCP. It's one of the biggest deviations of this game from MCP is that engagement is a real rule in this game. Um, so another thing you can do on your activation is focus. And so if you focus, 
That means during the next attack made by each character in this unit, add one die to the attack roll. Because when you do this, I should note, note when you take an action, every model in the unit makes the action. So right. if you're acting one of those support units that has two or two bodies, they both get to move. They both get to focus. They both mm -hmm. get to shoot when you take one action. So focus adds one die roll, one die to the attack roll. Combat, just what it sounds like. You decide whether you're going to do a melee or a ranged attack and you do the attack. Uh, you can use an ability. One thing to note in this game is all abilities are once per turn. That's actually explicitly called out in the rules. So any ability you read, all of those abilities can only be used once per turn. That's just like a hard and fast rule of the game. Once per turn, anything. Hmm. That's interesting. Which is different. Yeah, usually, yeah, you, get, it usually is different. you get to move twice in most games. That's that'll be no, 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 no. Sorry, the ability is on your card face. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you were talking about like the, the abilities in general. It's like, whoa. Usually, you only usually you always get to move twice if you have it. No, no. Ability meaning you're using one of your active abilities on your card. Gotcha. Misunderstood. Yeah, no, you're good. And those are that I actually like mistold. And those are all only once per turn. Uh, so here's another thing you can do. You can recover. And that's each character in the unit can heal one one thing. And then the last thing you can do is take cover. And that's each character in the unit may be pushed range one and get a hunker token. <clears throat> and so what hunker, hunkering does is it gives you an extra defense against the next ranged attack coming at you. And hunker, hunkering stacks with cover. Ooh, that's so cool. if you have a hunker and, a, and a, if you're hunkered, one and you're in cover you get two additional defense dice against shooting attacks i like it <clears throat> yep so those are the things you can do and you get to do two things right so two things from from that suite of things uh and then you resolve the end of the turn and we talked about the end of the turn um because that's where injury and defeat work right you check to see if your uh injures injuries are equal to your total uh, durability. And if they are, your character's gone and you remove their card from the game for the rest of the game. And that's that. Uh, so do you have any questions from here? Like at this point? I do not. Okay. So let's talk about the advance, the movement. So advance, we talked about basically you just move with the advance tool climbing. When a character climbs, it moves using the dash tool that can overlap the terrain, and then you end your movement at any elevation. But again, you have to be fully overlapping it. Um, <clears throat> note that, again, I, how I said you can't climb when you're engaged. You can also dash. Dashing is the short movement tool. <clears throat> and dashing um, is also, there's a lot of dashes that are built into expertise stuff in combat, which we'll get into. It's just a different, shorter style of movement, right? Jumping, which is a character, it's basically the same as climbing. It's just that there's no rule for engagement for jumping because when you're jumping, it's not one of the two. It's not like the same as a movement action. It's a totally separate thing. It costs force or you have to use expertise. Right. Uh, and then pu pushing and pulling. I'm not actually, I don't, I don't want to get into pushing and pulling because it's very hard to explain without visuals. It's extremely hard to explain it without visuals. So mm -hmm. if you want to know how pushing and pulling works, well, it works just like it does in MCP and you should just go look at the book. I don't, I don't, I hate to be like, go read the book, 
jerks but like you Can sort of have to look at <laughs> you sort of have to <laughs> you have to look at pictures of how pushing and pulling works you, you're basically like it's 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 really intuitive once you get to it right because you're basically pushing or pulling a specific distance based on the push or pull now, that's going to be noted on the ability and then you use one of the range tools you fold that into 90 degree angle and line it up with the thing that's moving and then you have to move it within the parameters of that tool either toward or away from the thing pushing or pulling but it's much easier to see it than it is to explain i think i actually explained it kind of well there but I, was, I was just like, gonna say you did a terrible job of not even bothering to <laughs> I, that's, explain. I was thinking the same thing i'm glad you said that <laughs> All right. I, but it, I, for me, though, it's still like I, I'm not a, I have no visual imagination at all. Do you know what I mean? I, I com- completely have no mental pictures at all. So it's really hard for me to like imagine it. So seeing it is much simpler than um, than explaining it. So I, I still think it's better to look at pictures of it to see how it works. Well, the, the thing about that, Kev, though, is that it's it's a, it's a great thing that they brought over from MCP because oh, one of the best things. It, yeah. it gives you. Um, more ability than most games in how you push things, right? Most most games is just push directly towards or directly um, away. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's it. Whereas this gives you that angle to be like, well, I want them to come at me, but I don't want them quite right in my face. Or it mm-hmm. also allows you to say, well, they're they're out of range of you know this guy that I really want to kill them. So if I push them a little more like towards me, but more to the left, uh, this, you know, Anakin will be able to get them. Um, so it gives you a lot more variety. It gives you a lot more options. And it's it's one of those things that's just a tiny change from what most war games do, but has a huge, huge, huge effect on the game. Yeah, agreed. All right, but so we've talked about move. Oh, there's one more cool part about movement we haven't talked about, and that's ingress points. Chris, do you know anything about ingress points? I don't. Paul, do you know anything about ingress points? I don't, but I know what ingress means. Yeah, I mean, I know right, what cool. ingress means. I have a nice so, idea. Yeah, yeah. That, that gives me, that gives me an idea. Okay, so any ingress point in the game, be it uh, if there's like an elevator or a lift or a ladder, if you end within range one of the ingress point, you teleport to the other side of the ingress point within range one of it. So if you're at the bottom of the ladder and you're within range one of the ladder, bloop, you're within range one of the top of the ladder. Right. Same with an elevator or a lift. Hmm. And so that's really cool because it lets you do neat things with terrain. Like you could have a bunker that you say has an elevator to the roof. And this is where the elevator lets out, right? If you have that modeled on your terrain that they can Mm -hmm. run in and there's a little doorway. If they run in the bottom, they come out the doorway. Super fucking cool. I really love it. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of that. Um, You know, just with because that's how a lot of Star Wars works, right? Like you got to get in the elevator and then you got to go up. Exactly. Um, so I mean, it oh, only I, makes sense. Uh, and especially the when overall. there's like, if you're gonna have all, yeah, if you're gonna have a lot of like multi-level terrain too, it makes sense that you have these ingress points that just make um, movement a little bit more uh, easy and let you interact with the terrain that you've so you've spent time customizing and talking about the rules for and putting down on the table and painting and all that shit, right? Just like gives you more out of your terrain. You can do more cool stuff. Yep. All right. 
So we've, we're already going long. So the last thing I want to talk about is combat because we haven't talked about the combat system in the game at, at all, period, like zero. And the combat is like a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. It is next level. Right. Yeah. So, all right. So the first thing I want to talk about is engagement because it's such a drastic change from MCP where there is, there's just no concept of engagement whatsoever. And I think for a lot of war gamers coming into MCP, that's very hard to get used to. Um, but it's back, fellas. Uh, so a unit is engaged if it's within range two, if it's on the same elevation and it's in line of sight. Those are your three rules. If you meet those three classifications, you are engaged. If you are engaged, you can't climb, you can't shoot, and you can't advance. You can only you can only dash. So I mean that all makes that sense. Is, Amazing. I, and I, I don't think it's as consequential as like giving attacks of opportunity and things that happen in games like Malifaux or Guild Ball, right? Where you're taking like disengaging strikes, but it still makes being close to other models of any consequence at all because it just doesn't matter at all in MCP and it makes some of the tactics so frustrating mm-hmm. um, that you can't like gang up on stuff or or cause engagement to mean anything. I, it's one of my least favorite parts of the game. So I'm just like so happy that engagement is back and engagement actually matters. It matters. Right. Right. Um, and it really affects what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I yeah, do like I do yeah. like the fact that um you know, you can possibly jump out of combat too. Like that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. You could force jump out, right? Like whoop piece. Um, yeah. But like, it also means that if you're, you know, you can use someone to actually tie a model down. Like if mm-hmm. if there's an objective on the second floor, and you're you're you can engage an enemy model to make it so they can't climb up. Like yeah. oh, that is yes. that is a frustrating point that I had with MCP. So I'm yeah, I'm I'm glad that they brought that back. Yeah. Oh my God. It's just. I mean, it allows oh. for more tactical decisions, in my personal opinion. It does. It's uh, see, yeah, it's huge to me. It's like it, th- th- if I if I already said my favorite thing, this is my second favorite thing <laughs> is that engagement engagement actually matters in this game. Um, so because so it, it uh, should matter. Uh, so apparently, I don't really care about engagement because I don't think I ever noticed that there wasn't a rule for it in MCP. Oh, dude, it's so frustrating that you can't like stop someone from moving out of a place or just like, you or know, there's like there's no you can't, penalty you can't, to it. Yeah, there's no penalty. Like you can't just stop. You can't stop any model from just double long moving out with an objective like, oh, it's so stupid. Um, so yeah, I, I, I never I never even I never even thought about it. <clears throat> I'll be honest yeah. with you. I mean, maybe it, maybe it. maybe it matters less than I'm making it out to matter, but I mean, it, maybe not to me, right? It does matter. It, I think it, it just adds another level, uh, like like Potter said, another level of tactical decision making, mm-hmm. and I'm way into it. Uh, yep. But the next thing we have to talk about, though, is the rest of the whole combat situation, uh, and so this shit is crazy. Uh, so. The first thing we have to talk about is there's two kinds of dice. And yes, there are custom symbols on custom dice, but this is also a AMG slash FFG slash Asmodee style game. There's a lot of custom dice and tokens. You just have to accept that when you go into the game. So uh, without out of the way, the offense dice are D8s. The D8s are printed as such. They have one crit, three strikes, Two expertise and two failure. 
So if you're keeping track, that means the offense dice have a 50-50 percentage chance for success. That's one crit and the three strikes, two expertise, which we'll get into, and a 25% chance of failure. That is, mm-hmm. for a person who likes to understand their dice probability, very smooth curve. I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, D6s, ha- are, again, are broken into thirds. Two blocks, two expertise, two failure. But... Just like the way, so the way, you know, and if you've studied MCP dice, you know, this is actually similar is that the device, the dice are actually weighted heavier to attack than they are to defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the same, it's the same here, right? You're rolling, but you're rolling a different dice. And it's, it's also important because it cha- it's not just the dice that make the difference. It's like a probability change. So here that you're a third to succeed on a block, a third to expertise, which we'll get into. And two failures. So a third failure, third success versus 50, 50% success, 25% failure on the mm-hmm. offense. So this is a game just like MCP that is much more weighted toward aggression, which I think is actually very important in a miniatures game because otherwise you have dirtling and there's no, there's no dirtling to be done here because you're always at the advantage while you're on the attack generally. Right. Yeah, which is so which is something that a lot of miniatures games attempt to do and fail at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels I it agree. feels very legiony to me uh, in that aspect with yeah. with the different attacks. It's a, it is a mm-hmm. definitely, uh, but I think this this the the wrinkle here is the way that actually combat works is. Spicy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. In Legion, it's cool, but in this, it is whew, very spicy. Um, I don't want to get into stances yet because that's just like blows it into a whole other level. But what I will say is that you do have a stance card and your character will either have one stance or two stances because it's a double sided card. Now, each side of your stance has a combat tree, which we'll get into. It has uh, melee and ranged stats for attack and defense whether or not they have them like sometimes there's a dash meaning they won't actually have one or the other Mm -hmm. Uh, and then also expertise tracks so when you look at one of these they look very busy uh if you don't understand them but what i'll say is the first time you look at this you're gonna go woof no thank you (laughs) but as, as soon as you understand it, you're like, ah, oh, this is actually a very pleasing and easy to read dashboard. Um, and so it's very simple. And I'm going to break it down uh, in the different sections. So the first section, which is your ability, your weapon abilities, melee and ranged. So the first thing you have is your two icons. It's pretty simple. A gun means you can shoot and sabers means you have melee, right? Mm -hmm. And you have a number inside each dice face. That number is the number of dice that you roll in that kind of conflict. So if you're rolling for defense and you have a six, you roll 66s. If you're rolling for offense, you have a seven, you roll seven dice. Simple. Right. Yep. Very easy to understand that. So now that you know that, we have to actually talk a little bit about how combat works. So when you roll your dice pool after the dust is settled, so there's like a just like MCP, there's a there's a sort of rhythm to it. You know, you like first assemble your dice pool, then you use abilities to modify your dice pool, then you roll your dice, then you use abilities to modify your dice. Once all that shit is done with, and th- th- I say that 
And anybody who has played MCP understands that happens in a flash. You know what your model can do. And those things happen very quickly. It's just that the procedure is actually very well documented. And I want to make sure that we know that there's a good procedure for how all this works. It but is, when the dust settles, go ahead, Paul. I was going to say, it's it's basically long division. I mean, yeah. Kind right? Of. Like, like, And not that you're doing long division, but it's kind of that same idea where there's like clear steps that you have to take. There are, there are, there are clear steps and sometimes you skip over steps because they, they're not relevant, but it's good to know that the steps are there and also critically where those steps are in the timing, right? right? Exactly. Um, and I want to just make sure that people understand that that's actually explicit in a gorgeous timing chart in this, in this instruction manual. But anyway, so you roll your dice. So let's say I roll my six dice, you roll your six dice, right? Now we're looking at the, the first thing I want to go over is the expertise track, because this actually is less dependent on what your opponent rolls. So in your expertise, you're going to have two sorts of expertise You'll, and they'll know what they're for. And so I'm just going to use an example on one of Ahsoka's cards where she has her lightsabers. And so in her lightsaber expertise track, it says one or two does uh, attack success, attack success. So that means if you roll either one or two expertise symbols, you get two successes added to your dice pool. Mm -hmm. you're, or basically you're adding the, the dice. You're, that's that The effect is you're adding two success dice. Um, three to four means you add two critical success rolls. Five expertise means you add three critical successes. And so that's what that means. And that's not as good as you think it is. No, actually. That means you rolled. Yeah, I was just thinking that was like you're reducing the amount of actual successes that you're getting in there. It, it, yeah, because you had to roll five dice. To right. Have symbols. And exactly. so if like, a, exactly. if like Ahsoka's exactly. attack is seven and she gets five expertise, <laughs> and she rolls five one, expertise. one success. <clears throat> well, no, but, but here's the deal. Five expertise means three crits and crits can't be canceled by defense. They are guaranteed hits on the track. Uh We'll get into that though. Crits are crits are like the better successes. Right. Like strikes are regular successes and crits are super successes. It kind of um, it, it kind of reminds me of the uh, dice rolling phase in Chain of Command where you, you know, where you can figure out what uh, what you're going to be able to activate. And it's kind of the same idea where one of the numbers isn't necessarily great, but if you get a bunch of them, it can really help you out. Yeah, and, and here actually, I think actually the curve is really interesting because on, on every card that I've seen, one is like, one or two of them is like, sweet. Three or four of them is like, hell yeah, it actually averages out my dice curve. And three of them is like, woo, motherfuckers were in there. So right, like, right. it's actually, it's actually really cool the way it works. Um, all right. So that's how expertise works on offense. And, and what I want to talk about now is the combat tree, because what you do is you take your total number of strikes and then you subtract a strike for every successful defense dice, for every block. So for every block on your opponents, you're going to remove a strike. Crits cannot be removed by strikes or by blocks. Sorry, crits can't be removed by blocks. So... You're going to have some number of successes at the end of this between zero and however many dice you rolled, right? Mm -hmm. And so after you've done that, you have a – it sort of looks like a little – like a train map diagram 
uh, on this and that acts as a track for dice successes. So each one of these, you start in the orange square. That's your first success is the orange square. And then you move down and you choose to go on these branching paths and add the successes as you go. Um, so as an example, as we look at one of Ahsoka's here, sh she has on her first track, the first success she gets is she does one damage and a shove. And then from there, she can choose to either move up to heal twice or down to do another damage and a jump. And then depending on which track you have, you can go further and further and further down. And so if mm -hmm. Ahsoka, for example, has five successes and goes down the bottom track, she will do a total of six damage to her opponent. There's one from the first square, one from the second square, and then two, two, and two. And then right. there's additional pushes, shoves, and dashes, etc. cetera. Uh, and so what you're doing is you're taking your attack successes and allocating them. But you could, be, I mean, what I'll be actually doing as I play the game is just pushing the dice on top of the symbols on the card to know where I am and what I've spent. Right. Uh, and I honestly, I think that's probably what most people will do because it's like the best way to keep track of what you've done so far. Mm -hmm. Um. But we also have to talk about defense expertise because when you're on defense, you also have expertise. And an example, the cool thing about, def I haven't seen any offense expertise that do this yet. This is why, but defense expertise, some of them let you modify your opponent's dice. So for an example, Ahsoka has acrobatics on both of her stance cards. And acrobatics, so if she gets one defense she gets one block and she gets to change one offensive crit to a strike hmm. if she gets two or three she gets two additional defense she gets to modify a crit to a strike and she gets to jump right <laughs> like wow. and then it, it gets even more insane if she gets four defense because then she gets two blocks she gets to move a crit to a, a strike she gets to jump and heal Sounds very uh, Ahsoka-y. Very Ahsoka-y. But you got to be pretty lucky, right? Because only, it's only a third chance per expertise roll. But, like, that gives you – the thing that I really like about this is that the dice give you lots of player agency because um, you roll your dice and then there's probably going to be dice manipulation effects, and et cetera, et cetera. And so you can, like, know based on your combat tree and your stance because now we'll talk about stances. So in these stances, some stances, will, if you think about it, it could be changing from one sort of lightsaber pose to another or it could be changing from your lightsaber to your blaster. Right. Right. Or whatever. If, if you're Bo-Katan, it could be changing from the 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 dark saber to like the a grapnel launcher or whatever right like there's like so many different things that like stances could could go between um and you're allowed to switch once per activation you can switch from one stance to another so you and and it's important to know what stance you're in because you have different defenses in your different stances too right right which makes sense yeah. And so that's another part of the game, right? Like just like uh, we're talking about like how we're sort of like stacking decisions in this game. So like having these multi-level, multiple changing uh, objectives, having your units that have flexibility to go from one stance to another and having the combat be uh, it's not just deterministic based on the dice. Like I think even the lowliest units. So I'm looking at the the B1 battle droids and even the B1 battle droids. 
they're sure their first three offensive successes are always the same, but on the fourth, you always get a choice. So even the like lowliest of the low models has um, combat options and cool things that they can do. So I think that's neat. Well, I mean, having played uh, Arena Rex, I already come with a positive outlook on damage trees. Yeah, and it, I mean, this is basic. This is basically like I, when we first saw them. I was like, I don't know if it's closer to Guild Ball or Arena Rex. It's much closer to Arena Rex. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the minute I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, this is because Guild Ball, you know, gave you options. Um, yeah. but it wasn't you the top like or the if you had gotten all of the options up till that point, right. That's where that's right. the, that's the major difference, mm-hmm. right? Like you can choose which damage you do or which effect you do in guild ball, but you know, arena racks, you get everything built up there. Yeah. And just so like another, just another thing to talk about how different these can be. If we look at the difference between the two Darth Maul, um, stances, like one of Darth Maul's defense stances doesn't even have uh, defense expertise; it only has offense, <laughs> as it should. <laughs> um, and the one that has offense and defense has three levels of uh, cha- branching paths. So it's not just like one branch or another; it's like it branches and then branches. Hmm. Uh, so like these things are going to be like, we're talking about like that push and pull that the designers can do too, right. To make the models more flavorful, um, giving these models the ability to have like very different trees of damage. And because di- the other thing I haven't even said yet is that this is also how you put, um, negative debuffs on your opponents is that all, all of the debuffs are symbols in the combat tree. So like when you're looking at your combat trees, like you're going to have your jumps, your heels, your dashes, your shoves, et cetera. But you're also going to be able to do the uh, abilities that debuff your opponent for their next activation so that their their melee weapon or their their range weapons break or whatever it is that you're doing. There's there's like a bevy of these different status effects that you can apply. So. Uh, it's just like MCP where, you know, an MCP, I think launched with like seven or eight different debuffs and now it's a much higher number. Um, this game is shipping with a number of them as well. Right. Uh, it's four actually. So you have strained, disarmed, exposed and pinned. And so each one of those, so like pinning the next time this model would attempt to advance dash or climb, it doesn't instead it loses the pinned condition. Oh, so rough yep and that's actually one of the things that darth maul does is pin um exposed uh makes it so that they can't use defense expertise on their next defense roll yikes Gross. Uh, disarmed means you can't use disarmed means you can't use attack expertise and strained means the next time you move you take damage oh wow i love it so yeah and and you you afflict those debuffs based on your combat tree and and that's the decisions that you're going to be making like are you are you thinking to yourself would i rather do more raw damage because when you're looking at the tree that's often the choice the choice is like three damage or one damage and disarmed like which one of those is better as i keep continue down the tree so it's consequential right the way you move down these paths 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the cool things that Arena Rex did is your decisions on what your what damage tracks you're taking um, really determines how how that combat is going to go for you. And in this game, you know, where it's very objective based, damage might not be the best option. Right, yeah. the better yeah, option yeah. might be to push somebody or to push oh, someone crap, off an I'm objective. Engaged. Now I'm pushing you got it. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because push because because remember you move you move the struggle tracker at the end of every one of your activations, so it behooves you to push your enemies off the objectives before the end of your activation. Right, and potentially get yourself on top of a different one. Right. So it's uh it's very cool, very cool stuff. Yeah, I this think. is gonna be for a player like me who likes just to uh, Hulk smash and just kill everything. This is gonna be difficult. It's gonna be like it's <laughs> gonna it literally is gonna be like playing Guild Ball all over, over again. Like I'm gonna have to retrain my brain to like I just can't murder everything. I actually have to do other things. Yep. Oh, um, certainly are. All right, so um, rather than fi- rather than being like final thoughts, guys, I really want to just get. I want to do a room temperature. Like, what? Where are you at on this game right now? Now that you have like, I think at this point, like where we couldn't just set up and start playing because there there are still some like critical nuances. Like this is a dense rule book, and there's some like very very specific language that has to be understood and things that you need to, someone who really understands them. But like you have a pretty good idea how to play it all right now, uh, and anybody listening probably has a pretty good idea how the pl- the game plays. And I'm really curious to know like what your level of anticipation is of the game at this point. I want to hear Paul's first. Sure, that's fair. Um, game looks great. Rules look great. I just don't have room for it. Like, yeah. How about you, Chris? Uh, I've. I've already pre-ordered the core box as well as one of the other boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat as you, Chris. Um, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually selling games. Like I'm, I'm actually actively considering, I'm actively considering selling my Greyjoys um, and quite a few other minis to make room for it because like really at this point in my life, I just want one miniatures game that I'm like really into that I, that I like that, that has some bright colors that I can paint and is fun to play casually. Like that's kind of like really what I'm looking for. Um, and it's, it's never going to be hard for me. It, like I'm never going to be like star Wars. Boo. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's like actively something that I love to participate in. And so, uh, it just seems like a pretty easy win for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I, I feel everything about the system is good yeah, so far. I, I feel I'm in the same boat as you. Like I, I've downsized pretty much um, to a Soif MCP Legion uh, in Conquest. That's pretty much only. But it's, yeah. it's still a lot of games. Right? Still, I'm in the same boat. I'm like, but I'm actually, I'm like, oh, it's still this, 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 and this, and I just like want to get down to like one or two of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at getting rid of all of my A Song of Ice and Fire. The the community here has pretty much died. No one's really playing the game. Um, I may may hold on to my Baratheons, uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to get rid of all of them 
in because like I talked to Paul and it's like I think I want to get down to just like one sci-fi skirmish, one sci-fi mass battle, one fantasy skirmish, one fantasy mass battle, and the nice thing with Conquest is it knocks those two out with one game. Yeah, you know, so I get so you know I get Legion for my mass battle, I get Shatterpoint for that, and in my MCP I'm downsizing to only mutants. And uh, Black Order. That's that's all I'm I'm going to be collecting anymore uh, for for MCP. So nice. again, I'll I'm be gonna, able to I'm, condense that really smallly. Good. Yeah. And and my goal is to go like full full casual filth. Like I want to go down to Relic Blade, MCP, and maybe one or two other games. Yeah. So. No. Yeah. I'm definitely downsizing like you. Um. I can't not see me not playing Shatterpoint. In all honesty. Um, as much as I was, you know, hemming and hawing just because of the amount of games I had already, uh, it's just it's it fits exactly what I want it to be. It's it's Star Wars MCP that has learned from MCP um, as well, you know, is taking from other games, and so it's just it fits a good place in what I want yeah. from a skirmish game. Yeah, for me, the the, the thing I want to say, and I, this isn't this isn't meant as a correction to what you said. But like for me, it's not necessarily MCP as a spot that they've learned. It's that they, they took the best parts that they, they, they took, they lifted the parts from MCP that made sense mm-hmm. to lift and improved the parts that it made sense to improve and then built totally new systems yeah. everywhere. Else. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's a fair way yeah. to say it. Um, because like I, I, I just, yeah, I just am, I'm leery because people are like, what well, is this just another MCP? And it's really not right. Like most of the systems in this game are dissimilar. This, the similarities are where it makes sense. Like movement, pushing, pulling the injured mechanic being upgraded. Right. But like, and the, the verbiage and the timing charts and the way that the, the, the dice mechanics, like the timing of the combat, like the, the timing structure of combat is also very similar to MCP, even though combat itself is very different. Right. Um, so I think, I just think it's really cool. I think they've, they've developed themselves a hell of a game here. Yep. I agree. Paul's not going to have a say in playing it. Cause I'm going to buy his Ewoks and he's just going to fucking play. <laughs> yeah, man. How are you not going to play with Yub Yub? Let's go. Um, no, I have a, a, I have a couple day. of uh, you know teams that I would be eyeing up. The only problem is the the starter set. Yub Nub. Like I said, I'll just buy uh, Ewoks, and you don't have to worry about the starter set in the terrain. Yeah, man. You you need it. Um, and like. Man, there's so many good packs coming out. I don't know, dude. I'm uh, it's gonna. I'm not gonna buy everything. I think no, that's probably no, no, no. I not, I'm, I learned my yeah. I learned my lesson from from uh MCP, from MCP and trying to Pokemon that yeah. shit. Like I will be getting I will be getting the Inquisitor pack for sure. Um, I got the I think the Obi Wan pack is the one that I pre ordered as as well. Hello as the there. Yeah, the hello there set. Like, I'm not going to get Grievous like at all. Like, I have zero desire to pick up Grievous. Um, that's so. It's so funny. That's so funny that you say that because the first two boxes that I ordered. I mean, you can guess them. It's the du- the Dooku um, and the Grievous box. Right. <laughs> Those were like my my, See, my, first my two. favorite one out of the Clone Wars stuff is the uh, Padme. Oh, oh man, yeah, her, her, box, her is... box looks so cool. Like, I probably won't pick her up, but it's a really cool box. Like, I mean, Night Sisters for me are a given. I'm, I'm going to pick Night Sisters up. Um, yep, same. Yeah, I mean, and I'll pick up whatever box Hondo's in now that they've announced Hondo's coming to the game. Um, I'll probably pick up the Cad, I'll probably... Cad Bane yeah, box. Yeah, I mean, 
the, also the the Luminara box is like a hundred percent yes because like that's something that I want to add to the core box forces. Yeah, see, um, see, I, I hem and haw on Luminara because like I she's cool. I love her lore wise and like the fact that you know she was the one. Uh, you know that she, no was it Shock no Shakti that did the clone training. Um, but I mean I still like Luminara. Um, and she comes with clone troopers. So but this is the cool thing, right? Because like we we all get to have our different and that's good. The clone troopers are a big part of it too, right? Because it's gonna like when I wanna build a force around the Obi-Wan and Ahsoka models, it gives you just more options. Yeah. Right? Oh, the Plo Koon box is a hundred percent for me. He is my favorite, oh, like non mega main character Jedi. I, I love him. Me- mega dope. Yeah. yeah. And, and basically anything anything that's uh Cad Bane related I'm buying yeah, same, too, right? Same so like, that's the but I absolutely yeah. love Cad Bane. Um, Cool. All right. Well, I think that pretty. I mean, I want to make sure we we run us out because we're we're running long, um, and but yeah, it sounds like all three of us are in agreement that this seems like a pretty rad game, uh, and that and that AMG has once again uh, hit the mark. I agree. Yep. I think that I think one of the important things is that. Um, this game is of the Filoni War, like Star Wars. Yes. Whereas Legion is more uh, Skywalker Saga type Star Wars. Well, I think that th- that stuff is going to come into this game, right? But I think they're taking the Filoni aesthetic a hundred percent. Well, yeah, I, I don't necessarily I, mean yeah. the models specifically. I mean the gameplay style. Yeah, so I think like what Paul's oh, saying yeah. is like where oh. like Filoni was more like small skirmish battles. Whereas Legion was the Star, the Skywalker yeah. Star Wars, the big epic battles. Yeah, the Hoth. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're Yavin Four. You're right. You're 100 percent right, Paul. That is right on the mark. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that's a good way to look at the different games and how they are are different. Yep, I agree with that. Cool. Also, I know we talked about this at the top of the show about how models might be released. And I just looked at the Ewok box and the Ewok box is actually um, it is five bases It's the primary unit. And then the secondary is two models. And then the uh, support is two bases with three models on each base. So it's five bases, but nine models. Yeah. Excited about those. That's so cool. All right, anyway, uh, who wants to read us out? Not me, please. I heard Chris does. Oh, man, I did it last time. Uh, <laughs> thank you to our patrons. Uh, you guys are awesome. Thank you to Static is the City for the, the music at the top and bottom of the show. Uh, come join us on our Discord and follow us on the socials. Bye. Bye.